Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. All right, turn with me to, we're going to be in the second Peter this morning. I like to be in the first Peter. Um, I spend a lot of time in first Peter, and uh, for good reason. We're probably actually going to hit back on it this morning for a second. But um, in second Peter this morning... I want to just touch on a couple things, and just for the record, my prayer is that as we go through a list of things, I'm, I'm sensing and just praying that one of these things, at least one of these things is going to stand out to you. A better pastor would have had a slideshow ready for you this morning, but um, you got me. So what I'll do is I'll try to go through it slow and repeat myself and that sort of thing, but I really am praying that one of these things that we go through, there's a list of things uh, that some of you are already familiar with if you've been and spent some time in the first chapter of the second letter of Peter. Um, but a couple of disclaimers before we get there, a couple of points to lay a foundation here. I'm just going to begin reading, and then we'll, we'll backtrack. So chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's great. I'll take that letter. I'll take that letter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I want to just um, touch on a couple things here because of the way that little section ends of being rendered neither fruitless nor useless. And I, I struggle with this a little bit because I see people in Christianity. I see people in the church. I see uh, Christian dumb, if you will, Christian dumb. Uh, all the bride, and I, what is hard for me to look past is this sort of feeling of uselessness and fruitlessness. And it's almost like it doesn't matter how excited, people think that, well, the more excited you are, the more fruitful you are, or the more passionate you are, the more useful you are, or the louder you are, the more the kingdom comes through you, or something like that. But those aren't actually reconcilable. Uh, it's, it's actually sometimes, tragically, the opposite. And so I wanna, I wanna uh, go a little deep this morning, and I'm praying that y'all can go with me, and I'm praying that as we navigate through this list of things that we add one to the other to the other, that something settles in on you this morning, and it's, and it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
to move forward. Some of you, it's going to be all of them, like the whole list. High five. So first and foremost, verse three said, his power gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that word pertaining, some of us, we just skim right over that. Oh yeah, life and godliness, his power, life and godliness. And we, we connect the dots without the word pertaining to it. But the reason why it's so important that that's in there is because his power does not make you more godly. His power gives you what you need to become more godly. And there's a wicked big difference there. <laughs> because some of us, we, we like call on and we dwell on and we pray on the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. But the problem is, is that there's that word pertaining, some of, for some of us, it consumes the majority of our entire lives is missing that pertaining. Because we accept the power but we don't accept the fact that we have to get involved in how that power plays out in life and godliness. Power has more to do with what we do than who we are. If you're writing things down. Power has more to do with what we do than who we are. Now, that's going to not sit right with people who, um, out of the last, like, 10, 15 years, uh, maybe even closer to 20, I don't even know now. Um, but there's been an obsession with identity. If you've been in a, in a millennial gathering, if you've been in a young adults group, if you've been uh, in a youth group, if you've, if you've been a part of you know, uh, some conference with an emphasis on relevancy or whatever, it's like we're all getting back to identity, identity, identity. Why? Because there is this obsession with who we are. The problem is when we're too obsessed with who we are, we lose sight of the power because power is granted to us for what we do, who, what we are called to do. You see, who you are in Jesus is way too important to entrust you with. I'm going to say that one more time. Who you are as a child of God, as a son, a daughter of God, it's way too important. So we leave that to him. Like, like once you accept the truth of the gospel, like that identity factor takes over. But we love it because we don't really have to do anything for it. It's like the prodigal coming back and here comes the robe and the ring and the cat, fatted calf is slaughtered and who I am as a son in this house. Amen. Praise the Lord, but power is about what you do with who you are. And, and it's so important that we get the fact that power is, gives us what pertains, which means that you have access, like the father in the prodigal son story tells the good son, the good son, <laughs> who's up in the upper room looking out his window, scowling, resentful about this prodigal coming back and realizing that he's equals with that guy, the one who stayed at home. And so, but what his father says to him is that you've had access to all of this all along. Power. What are you doing with power? Okay. So, um, I'll say that one more time. Who you are is too important to leave to us. But what we do is it's important, but we're trusted with it. We're trusted with it. And sometimes that's terrifying. Sometimes that's so terrifying, in fact, that we're paralyzed by messing it up. 
by the fact that we could possibly mess it up. We're paralyzed and we end up doing nothing with the power that he's given us. That was for you. I have a sore throat or something. I don't know. Allergies. Whatever it is. Yeah. Would you say COVID? It's COVID? It's probably COVID. Whatever. I don't care. And you better not hug me less after service either. I'm telling you right now. Now, power gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness, but if you keep reading, he says, seeing that his divine power, okay, he's granted everything to us pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse four, though, for by these, by what? By his glory and his excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent, here we go, promises that by them you may become partakers. Partakers of the divine nature. Okay, so on the flip side of power, promises are granted so that we become partakers. Promises are, in fact, less about what you do and more about who you are. And we like to flip that around. We like the opposite version of that. We like to tap into the promises um, and, and play out the doing of our lives based on promises. But the promises really are less about what you do, less about what you get, Somebody? Less about your blessing. Less about your prayer being answered. The promises are about who you are. As a partaker of divine nature, who you are, the promises are so that we can embody the nature of God. That's an incredible gift. That's what makes us what we were originally intended to be. When it says that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, some of y'all have heard this from me years ago. I heard it from Brother David Ritchie, who was my Greek professor in undergrad. And he said, Zach, you know what's crazy about being made in the image of God is that the original language of that phrase, the image of God, it's, it's better rendered this way. We were made as many gods, like miniature gods. Now, some of y'all, before you get up and walk out, like... This place is heretical. Aaron, I don't want you to think this is how we preach it in New England. All right? I think there's some, some cultish theology in there somewhere. But stop for a second and think about who we're restored to be. Co-heirs. Rulers and reigners with Jesus. What? You heard correctly. Who you are is absolutely imperative. But again, less to do with the, the circumstantial evidence of your life and more to do with the divine nature of God played out through that circumstantial evidence. All right, right. All right good. So, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Divine nature. Ron Eaton preached a message on this years ago, and it was way better than this one, but fortunately we don't have record of that, so you're going to have to settle for this. Partakers. So, so if you're writing things down, preparation is the purpose of power. Power is so we can be prepared. Power is so that we have what we need. We have access to what we need for life and godliness. Preparation for life and godliness. Preparation is the purpose of power. Partaking is the purpose of promise. Partaking in the divine nature of God is the purpose of promise. Now, now that we have those two things under our belt, we can get into this list. And again, let's go to the Lord. Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord, you know what we do when we listen to a message. We gravitate toward the thing we've already got right, and we say, I've already got that right. 
Lord, help us just to uncheck some boxes in Jesus' name. We need to uncheck some boxes. We need to get back to the drawing board. And Lord, we need, we need to, to really hear your heart on where we're at with some of these things, God. So um, spirit minister in the way that only you can do, convict us, God. Move beyond this message or any message we've ever heard and let the depths of your power um, penetrate our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. So godliness, who called us by his own promises, right? Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. Verse five, now for this very reason also, what reason? The reason that you are a partaker in divine nature, for that reason. And for this same reason, we're getting into this to begin with, because too many believers are missing the divine nature. We, we're, we're missing it. It's almost like we had it and we let it go because it wasn't important enough to us to hold on to. We went back to identity or we went back to power or we went back to something else when all of it comes up to this pinnacle so that we can be like him. So, verse five. I gotta just keep going here. I'm gonna keep distracted by this. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply, okay, moral excellence. Everybody say, moral excellence. Would you believe that that is translated from arete, the same word that is used a verse and a half earlier when it says, by his own glory and excellence. His power is granted to us. We're already seeing the divine nature played out. The fact that we can supply, the fact that we can add moral excellence is already an indicator that we've been given access to something supernatural, something that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Moral excellence. Moral excellence. What is so important about moral excellence if I'm already saved, Zach? Why do I have to make morally upright decisions? Why does my moral compass even come into play if I'm under the blood? <laughs> Some of y'all, you get away with way too much just being under the blood. Moral excellence, if you're writing things down, completes the circle that faith begins. Moral excellence completes the circle that faith begins. It works like this. If I believe this is a better way, then I will live it too. If we really believe, see, to me, that's the indicator. If I really believe that what Jesus teaches is a better way, that it is the way, the truth, the life, if that's really what I believe, then my life would begin to reflect it. I'm not saying that like overnight I just suddenly wake up and I'm just like this better person. I'm saying that moral decisions will reflect the principles and the truth that Jesus teaches. The, the submission of my life, the humility of my life will be that of Jesus Christ because I really believe it. And, and that's, that's the hard thing. You know, we think, well, the confessing with our mouths is the hard thing. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of lip service going on in the church. I think we confess a whole heck of a lot of things with our mouths that we never really believed in our hearts or else our lives would look different than they do. Moral excellence completes the circle that faith begins. So that's why it's, but it's, it's our part of it. 
Jesus did his part, and he's resting. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The, the work of the cross is a finished work for heaven. But it begins a circle in us that our lives, our decisions, our actions, what we have control over needs to reflect it. Now, after, not, after moral excellence, he says, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge. Now, we talked a little bit about how important it is uh, a, a couple weeks ago in a message. We talked about how important it is that Christians don't just believe what we believe, but we know why we believe it. Why is it that so much of the New Testament talks about knowledge? Um, and I want to just say this again, if you didn't get it from the other message. Knowledge, it's not just the what, but it's the why. This what makes the why sustainable when things get hard or difficult. The why, having the knowledge. Because here's the thing. When we do everything based on feeling, how I feel, you come in here and I can like almost guarantee you a good time. You're going to have a good time. You're going to get spanked and you're going to like it. You're, you're going to have a good time in here. Why? Because even when you get convicted, even when you get, get convicted, the living daylights right out of you, something about it follows the punch in the stomach with a kiss on the mouth. And you're like, yeah, I'm in love with Jesus again. I don't even know what to say about it. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I can't stop this love. Yes, you can. And you probably will. But it's not about what you feel in here. When we begin to supply and add knowledge to the moral excellence, suddenly the moral excellence, suddenly the faith, suddenly the way of life becomes sustainable when the feeling isn't sustained. Because the goosebumps are going to go away. The music is going to stop. You're going to get back in your car and go home. And, and, and stuff's going to happen. And for people who try to make the feeling sustainable, you're missing the point. Well, Zach, if we just had, if we had revival meetings every single night, well, what about the daytime? Well, if we did it in the daytime, well, what about your bathroom break? You're going to stumble. Something's going to happen. The feeling's going to, whatever it is, stop trying to make the feeling sustainable and start to supply knowledge. Because the more that we understand who Jesus was and why he did what he did and, and, and his directives from the Father, the more that, that these things become sustainable, not just when we're on the mountaintop, but when we're in the valley. Because right. Jesus was Jesus, not just when he was raising people from the dead and people were laying down palm branches and coats. Jesus was Jesus climbing Calvary. Supply knowledge. We've got to know why. We've got to know why. And Dave, I thought of you as I was working on this because you know why? Because every one of these things, as we go through these lists, is literally going back and forth on these extremes. Everything on the list is a countermeasure to the other thing. Because we can get really morally excellent without the understanding. And you see it. You see it in people. And then they get burnt out as Christians. They get jaded. They get disillusioned because they thought that the moral excellence was what was going to change things. But there's no sustainability to it without the knowledge. 
And so now the pendulum starts to swing and we start to add, we start to supply knowledge. Hence, SOS, hence the Bible studies, hence the heart and the soul and the, and the get into a small group and the get into a devotional and the dig deeper and be held accountable for the depths, be held accountable for what we're actually learning and receiving and, and processing and understanding. This is not a, listen, this is not a pursuit of knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's a pursuit of knowledge to sustain the divine nature that his promises make us partakers of, okay? Good. Okay. So we got to keep going. Watch this. Watch this. Here we go. Now, if you get too heady and the knowledge becomes too much, he says to the next thing, he says, and to this add self-control. That's my personal favorite because it's the thing I'm the best at. <laughs> self-control. Shut up. Everybody say self-control. Now say it an octave lower, self-control. That's better. Our old nature says, the more I learn, the less I think I have to. See why this one comes right after knowledge? Our old nature says, the more I learn, the less I think I have to. But our divine nature that we are now partakers in because of the promises of God tells us that the more we learn, the more humble it should make us. And this, saints, is the litmus test for real revelation. Real revelation. Not something you read on an Instagram post somewhere. Real revelation. Because counterfeit revelation puffs us up. Look what God showed me. Look what I know. <laughs> I love that. Somebody, somebody's heard that before. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Our old nature says the more I learn, the less I think I have to. But saints, when we get real revelation, it will come with self-control. See? Do you see Jesus? Now, Jesus was perfect. It actually says it in more than one place. He was perfect. He was sinless. But even Jesus in the garden... He's at a crossroads asking for the cup to pass from him. And in that moment, there was revelation. It actually says the father sends an angel to minister to him in that time of crisis. And in the revelation the angel brings in its ministry to our Lord, yes, he received ministry from angels. And in that ministry came a revelation that granted him self-control to follow through with the Father's will for his life. That was mad deep. I didn't even have that plan, Jackie. That's because you're sitting in the front row. So like, after that last message and just being held accountable, I just, you got to bring it. You got to bring it. Self-control. Self-control. When we get revelation, real revelation, it will come with self-control that does not allow us to be puffed up by it. It does not, it does not open the door for spiritual superiority or holier than thouness or self-righteousness or the I know more than you, so you should listen to me. It comes with what it came with for Jesus, the ability to go and die. That's real revelation. And that is what will change the world. Let's keep going. So after self-control, 
perseverance. Perseverance. Now, this is kind of interesting because nobody, nobody can imagine a world where there's too much self-control, especially not my wife. She's the most controlled person I know, and it's that why God brought us together. She's the power in the power couple. I'm just the couple. I just make the couple part. Self-control, you can't imagine there being a problem with too much self-control, and yet the reason why he adds perseverance to self-control is because the easier self-control gets, the harder perseverance can get. The flesh version of control brings us down, it bogs us down, and it restrains us. That is, in fact, what control is. That's what it's for. That's actually the fruit of the Spirit. Being self-control will reel you back in from when your flesh wants to get out there. But the problem is, when flesh settles in and begins to taint self-control, it becomes a control not just of the, the, the old nature version of yourself, but it, it begins to control what God's doing as well. And it bleeds out past self-control into just general control. And then it becomes control issues. You see how we're only a couple degrees away from messing this up at any given moment. And yet, risking messing it up, the Lord says, add to your self-control perseverance so that you don't get bogged down, so that the restraint doesn't end up restraining him. Persevere. Perseverance keeps that control moving forward. Perseverance. Perseverance. Don't grow weary and well-doing. We see it. We see it from Paul. Fight the fight. Run the race. Perseverance. Perseverance. I, I am convinced that if we don't struggle with self-control, we may struggle with perseverance. See? Two extremes. Two ends. And the polarization of these things, it's, it's hopefully as we're adding one to the other and then one to the other, we're getting a little bit closer to the middle every time. We're getting closer to truth every time. But saints, I, I, part of why there's such a, a, a grace here for people who have just been burnt out and jaded and spit out by, by ministry and church and religion and all the gross oppressive strongholds, especially in this region of the United States. Um, part of that is because the Lord is calling us into a season where perseverance is what will bring about the fullness of the bride that Jesus is waiting for. Perseverance. So where we've grown weary, where we've grown tired, where we've, where we've said, you know what, I couldn't achieve it in my own strength, so I'm not gonna achieve it at all. I want us to sense the conviction set in from the Lord that enables us and empowers us with what is needed for life and godliness. The Lord has a life for you to get back to. The Lord has godliness for you to tap into. And he's given you the power of his Holy Spirit so that you have what you need pertaining to it. We have to add the perseverance. Okay? Good. Let's keep going. Next up, after perseverance, he says, godliness, comma, godliness. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Perseverance leads to accomplishment, which can be of detriment without godliness. Perseverance leads to accomplishment. Everybody say amen. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. I can actually achieve. When I persevere, when I keep running, when I keep fighting, when I keep going, I'll accomplish something. 
The problem is, is that sometimes that accomplishment is of detriment to us. And so I want to say this, godliness in this regard is not like God. Godliness, the Greek word that this comes from, it's actually almost the opposite. It's reverence and respect. It's like an acknowledgement that you are not God. No matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you've achieved, no matter how many books you've written or TV shows you've been on, no matter, no matter how big of a ministry or how many countries you've uh, done a mission trip to or how many classes you've taught or how many churches you've pastored or planted or, or shut down, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, it's for somebody in here. Hopefully not me. But at the end of the day, saints, it comes back to godliness. Because some of us that are really good at persevering, we've, we've, we've come into a godliness with a capital G instead of a godliness with a lowercase g. We've come into a godliness like I'm more like God. And here we are back to that puffed up ness. And the Lord wants to stick a pin in that thing and, and let it bleed out. Let it reduce itself back to the lowercase g that says, where I belong, no matter what I've seen, no matter what I've accomplished, no matter how many revivals I've been in, no matter what has been revealed to me, I am nothing but respectful and reverent before the Father. Just like Jesus, after all the miracles, who is he but a lamb led to his sacrifice? And next to godliness, brotherly kindness. <laughs> Make sure that you're not so godly that it's not bearing any fruit. Even godly with the lowercase g. Sometimes, sometimes this, um, you know, we don't really use words like piousness here. But, but sometimes we, we and, and I'm a firm believer, you've heard me talk about it from this pulpit before, but about how humility can sometimes go so far that it circles back around to pride where we take too much pride in what our convictions don't allow us to do, that it puts us on a seat of judgment over other people who actually have more freedom than we do. I know, that's where I'm going here. So brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness comes from uh, the Greek Philadelphia, which is one of the words that we translate to love, but it's not quite the fullness of love. It's, um, it's brotherly love. Brotherly love, brotherly kindness. It's making sure that our feet are still on the ground, even though our heart and our head and our spirit is in the clouds. It's making sure that we still are operating on a lateral level, that we're, that we're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus or, you know, whatever rendering you want. I know Pastor John says now we're the gloves or something like that. It's like, it's never good enough for you. It's always got to be, got to one-up it. I love it. That's why you're on staff here. Make us better, John. You're not the hands and feet. You're the gloves and socks of Jesus. I don't know. Whatever. Vessels. That's in the Bible. Gloves and socks, not so much. Godliness ought to do with your perspective of people as much as it does your posture to God. Real godliness. Real godliness 
if we're adding real godliness on top of these other things, now if you've skipped a step somewhere on along the way, we are likely out of balance and out of alignment. But if we're careful and orderly about adding these things, and where we recognize like, like, a, like a Jenga tower that if it started to lean too much this way, then we go back and we say, you know what? I need to inject some self-control over there. You know what? I've got to get back and I've got to get back into the word. I've got to get back into uh, under some teaching, some good teaching that's bringing about a knowledge in me that helps to make this sustainable because I'm on this paycheck to paycheck plan with the spirit. But godliness leading to brotherly kindness shows us that, that this perspective that Jesus maintained somehow, yes, Jesus is always going back to the Father. He's always going back to the Father. His godliness was on point all the time, and yet he never lost sight of people. In fact, he says it to Peter, and you've heard it from me too many times. Peter, if you love me, sing kumbaya. If you love me, have a drum circle and like really get to the crucible of worship. If you love me, spend all night in prayer every night. If you love me, fast more. No, if you love me, feed my sheep. Take care of my peeps. Tend to my lambs. No dad jokes. For you, Finn, I'm restraining myself from dad jokes so as not to embarrass you. You're welcome. Godliness ought to do with your perspective of people as much as it does your posture to the Father. Perspective of people. What is your perspective of people? Some of us, we're, we're, we're so godly that the godliness has leaked into our politics and our passions and our persuasions and our whatever. And because we've tried to baptize those things in the spirit, what ends up coming out on the other side is a, um, it's, it's, a, it's a dichotomy where we're, we're now unable to see people through the eyes of Jesus. We can only see them through the eyes of what we thought we sanctified. The nonsense, the soapboxes and the, and the mountaintops and the platforms and the, the high horses that we refuse to get off of. And so we try to bring it all under the blood. And the problem is, is that some of that stuff, it can only be redeemed by Jesus, not by you. And so what happens is when too much of us starts to sanctify those things, we end up with a skewed perspective of people. We can't treat people the same. We can't treat the Pharisee like the tax collector. We can't treat the prostitute like the nun. We can't, we can't actually really maintain this godly perspective. Hence the need to add brotherly kindness. As simple as it is, as, as, as much as we just want to pass over it and say, yeah, I wrote a check to a charity last year, so I got that one covered. Stop it. Stop it. And understand that brokenness is brokenness no matter where you're broken. And finally, and finally, add love. I love it. I love it. So, so, so cool, isn't it? 
In your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Isn't it crazy that love's not first? The point here is that the Beatles were wrong. There's some blonde people in the room that are just catching on. Love isn't all you need. Because love that isn't founded and grounded on these things isn't God's love. Saints, the love of God is exact. It's precise. It's conscious and it's careful. We like to make it out like it's messy. Like it's reckless. Like it's, like it's just, you know, Mardi Gras beads thrown out from some parade float. You get some love and you get some love. Guys, this isn't Oprah. The love of God is careful. It's precise and it's exacting and, and it's balanced between all of these things. And adding it to the top at the end, we've, we've, we've brought in all the right ingredients that keep our love, God's love. Because of his power and because of his promises, because of what we can do and because of who we are bringing these things in, because of what we have access to now bringing these things in that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. When it says self-control, it doesn't mean fleshly self-control. It doesn't mean uh, broken human nature control. It means the fruit of the Spirit. When it says knowledge, it doesn't mean academic uh, achievements. It means the, the redemption of the mind. Saints, he's putting the ball back in our court. And so love needs to come from the place of uh, the transformation that is the result of the renewing of the mind, something that we have power over, that we have authority to do. Love. And add to these things love. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a shame when we misrepresent the love of God. I think it's a shame when we draw it through the filters of, well, this is what love looks like. It just looks like endless grace. <laughs> uh, is that what love looks like when you love your kids? No. Love looks like spankings. Somebody, somebody still spanks in here. Thank you for that clap, <laughs> that one clap. I'm terrified of the generation that we're raising. Love looks like discipline. I discipline those I love, says the Father. That's what love looks like. It's balanced. It's all seeing, it's recognizing, it's exact. The punishment fits the crime kind of thing. That's his love. Let's sit down to our feet this morning. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
So now, going forth from here, my prayer is that you'll spend some time meditating in this message and you will allow the Lord to direct you. Maybe you're just going to hone in on one of these things. Maybe it's just the moral excellence. Maybe there's just some things that you've been doing that you've been leaving out of the moral excellence box. Being like, well, I do all these other things, and you're trying to like play this game with the Lord. It doesn't work that way. And we say things like, oh, don't lie on your taxes. God won't bless that. We say phrases like that. But really, really, when we pick and choose through this list what we want to do, what ends up happening is the other side of the equals mark at the very end, we are rendered useless and fruitless. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. That's the word of God with a prescription for fruitfulness. Saints, now is the time. Now is the time we come out of these places, these, these useless memories where we've been living, these fruitless wounds that we've been preserving and changing the dressings on but never really allowing to be healed. Now is the time that we rise to the occasion of what he's called us to, partakers in his divine nature. That's who you are. Because of his promises, that's who you are. And because of his power, you can do something about it. So, Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you have equipped us already with everything necessary for life and godliness. But now, Lord, as partakers in this nature... It's our greatest prayer, Lord, that you bring us to a place of, of, of discernment and wisdom to know what to add and when to add it and what to add it to. Lord, places where we've gotten this thing so far out of whack, where we've pursued one or the other, and we end up so heavy in one polarized place that we miss the, the, the fullness of who you are, God. Bring us back as a bride. Bring us back. And if we're struggling in one or two or three or nine of these, God, help us to reach across and get a hold of somebody who, who is, is walking in that thing better than we are, who's flexing that thing in a way that we um, hope that we can attain to as well. And so, Lord, we pray for humility in these things. We thank you for them, Lord. God, I pray that you'd help us take inventory of our lives. That you bring us to a place, God, of, of surrender to the point where we say, God, we're desperate, not just for you, but for what you've given us access to so that we can become who you've called us to be. So, God, we pray for moral excellence in this room, conviction about the places where we've dismissed ourselves from upright actions. God, we pray for knowledge and self-control and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly love, and just love, like real love, like, like love that comes from you. We thank you for it, Lord. We give you all the glory, in Jesus' name. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. 
Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.